Today's reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 23. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it, is it, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. When I was a child growing up, my family had a height chart on the wall in our kitchen. I remember every so often being excited to stand straight up against the wall with my heels against the skirting board, straining my neck so that my mum could draw a line above my head 
to record how I was growing, how I was getting taller. Did you have a height chart in your family growing up? It's a great way to record physical growth, isn't it? But growing physically isn't the only way we grow, is it? We also grow up in other ways. We grow to know people better. In relationships, in friendships, we grow up relationally. We also get to know the world better in studying science, in exploring nature, in remembering history. We grow up intellectually. We also grow to know ourselves better, don't we? In thinking about how we feel and how we think, how we rest, how we work, we grow up in self-awareness. And probably most significantly, we grow up to know God better. We grow up spiritually. In most of those ways we grow up, we have a plan. When it comes to growing physically, lots of people have diet plans or fitness plans or weight loss plans, and these are a great priority. Our world loves those things. And it's in other areas too, care plans for healing, study plans for knowledge, personal development plans in the workplace. Personal development is a buzz phrase, isn't it? It's often a requirement for workers and increasingly school students to make a plan as to how you can maximise your potential and develop your career. I remember when I was working as a teacher, I would have to develop my own personal development plan with short and medium and long-term goals, the professional learning I was going to do, how I was going networking and reflecting on all of that. Most of my fellow teachers and I thought it was a waste of time. And it was distracting us from our core business of teaching the kids. Plus, it was just so much extra work. How am I going to put time and effort into all of those things? I wonder what's the attitude around personal development in your workplace? Do people see personal development as something that's needed or a waste of time? Something that's a priority or a distraction? But what about a plan to grow spiritually? Do you have goals as you follow Jesus? Do you have strategies helping you grow in godliness? Do you set aside time for professional development like reading God's word or a good Christian book? How is your networking going, building relationships in order to speak of the hope you have in Jesus? Do you reflect on how these things are going, maybe in thankfulness or in lament or in prayer? Growing spiritually and how to do that is a major reason the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians. As I said earlier in the five things you need to know, Paul is urging these believers to grow in spiritual maturity. And this was especially relevant for them because there were false ideas floating around their town and maybe even in their church that Jesus wasn't enough. Paul is so deeply concerned for the Colossians that he writes them this letter so that they can stand firm in the truth they've believed and continue in their faith. For us, I wonder whether the issue with growing up spiritually is more to do with busyness and priorities. For example, when we have a diet plan, our lifestyle completely changes. We shop differently. We might eat things that we don't like. We might stop eating things that we do like. When we eat with others, they accommodate us because they respect our choices. And it's often the thing that we talk about all the time. 
whether it's complaining or trying to persuade people to follow the same diet plan. And it's all because we think it's important to grow in this way. Do you prioritise growing up in your faith as much as you might in other areas of your life? In our passage today, we'll see how the good news of Jesus dying on the cross is most important in three different areas of life. In conversion, when you become a Christian. In growth, as you grow as a Christian. And in creation. And if Jesus is most important in everything, then we should prioritise growing up spiritually. It's my hope and prayer that I and we realise how important Jesus is and change our lifestyle to prioritise growing up spiritually. If you have a Bible, if you have it open to Colossians chapter 1, that would be really helpful as we look through this passage. Paul begins his letter by thanking God for the way the Colossians have come to believe in the gospel. That is God bringing people back into relationship with him by Jesus' death and resurrection to save people from their sins. That's what we call the gospel. And when you believe it, it's called conversion. But within Paul's prayer, he's also persuading the Colossian believers that in recognizing Jesus as most important, they understand the gospel truly See if you can pick out the four ways he confirms the truth of the gospel as we read verses 3 to 8. So we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Paul persuades the Colossian believers that they have received the fully true gospel. Firstly, by simply stating the message they heard is true. Verse 5. Within the Colossian congregation, there's probably temptation to believe that the message they heard wasn't true or wasn't enough. That maybe they needed more than Jesus. Paul says straight up, it's true. Have faith in Christ Jesus and him alone because he's most important. In verses 3 to 6, Paul thanks God for the Colossians' faith and love and hope and fruitfulness. And he says that these four qualities within them demonstrate that they've understood, truly understood, the message of the gospel. Because when you come to have faith in Jesus you begin to display the fruit of his spirit, love. And the hope of eternity with God changes your perspective in your lifestyle. The change in the Colossians' life demonstrates to Paul that they have faith. In believing that Jesus is most important, their lifestyle has changed. Paul also appeals to the universal growth of the gospel 
as it grows throughout the whole world, verse 6, to support its truth. He's saying that the same message the Colossians heard and is producing in them faith and love is doing the same thing throughout the whole known world. So be assured that what you've received is the true gospel. Jesus is most important in conversion anywhere the gospel is preached. And finally, Paul vouches for Epaphras, who told them the good news about Jesus. He says that Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ. So what he told the Colossians is true. As Epaphras is faithful to Jesus, he made sure that Jesus was most important in the Colossians' conversion to faith. So regardless of their own doubts or what others might be saying, Paul urges the Colossians to be assured that recognising Jesus as most important is the true way to respond to the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. But Paul doesn't end his letter there. He's not content with the Colossians simply receiving the gospel. He wants them to grow to be more like Jesus. Paul encourages the Colossians to grow up in their faith. And Jesus is most important in their growing up. See what Paul prays the Colossian believers will grow in as we read verses 9 to 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. At first glance, it looks like Paul is praying a list of things, but if we look closer, there is an order to it all. The first thing Paul asks God to give the Colossians is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in verse 9. There's lots of ways we could explain what God's will is, but I think that the Bible shows that the gospel is the major theme in God's will. It means God wants all people to be in a relationship with him, and Jesus' death and resurrection is how that happens. But what does it look like to be filled with that knowledge? Don't you just believe it? No, Paul is saying that the good news of God reconciling people to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection is the thing to be filled with. It's something that's going to totally, for want of a better word, infect them and change their lifestyle. Later in the chapter we'll read a description of what the Colossians were like before following Jesus in verse 21. They were alienated from God, enemies in their minds. Literally, they didn't know God, so they were unable to understand God's will. But now that they've believed God's good news about Jesus, they are to be filled or infected by that knowledge. And Paul explains why the Colossians are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way. The whole point of being filled with the knowledge of the gospel is so you can live in a way that honours Jesus as Lord. We live in a world where we grow up in lots of different ways, don't we? 
and that's living. So being filled with the knowledge of God's will is to make sense of God's world through the knowledge of Jesus. I think being filled with the knowledge of God's will is to make sense of the world through the gospel of Jesus. I think it's like putting on infrared goggles and being able to identify what's really going on in the shadows. I think it's like looking through a periscope so you can see what's above the waterline. I think it's like putting on a pair of glasses so you can see something clearly, appreciate a beautiful painting. I think it's like peering through a magnifying glass and being able to see the intricate details of an atom. I think it's like looking through an x-ray machine so you can analyse a broken body accurately. I think it's a lens to see through to help us make sense of the world. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis spoke about it like this. I believe in Christianity not because, like the sun rises, I see it. I believe it because by it I see everything else. So he's saying that I don't just believe the sun's there because I can see it. I believe because, like the sun, it illuminates everything else. I think being filled with the knowledge of God's will is to make sense of God's world through the gospel of Jesus. How are they to be filled with this knowledge, though? Paul says, through the wisdom and understanding given by God's Spirit dwelling inside them. It's in verse 9. Like a common sense that combines the truth of God's word, the understanding of our experiences, the wisdom we gather, combining it all together to help us build that lens of making sense of God's world. And living through that lens will lead to the other couple of things that Paul lists here. In verse 10, fruitfulness, getting to know God better. Verse 11, being strengthened. And thanksgiving in verse 12. Over the next three weeks, we'll see in more detail what those actions look like as we read the rest of the letter. But it all comes out of growing in the knowledge of God's will. That is, making sense of the world through the lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now that Paul's assured the Colossians that the good news about Jesus they believe is fully true... He urges them to start learning how the good news about Jesus helps them make sense of God's world. And Paul gives an example of what it means to make sense of God's world in verses 15 to 20. As we read it together, think about how the gospel might help us understand creation. From verse 15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 18 in the middle there helps us to sum that whole section up. Jesus has the supremacy, the highest authority in the creating of things and in the saving of things. And creation and salvation are linked through Jesus' work on the cross. Verses 16 to 17 explain how creation revolves around Jesus, that all things were created in him, through him and for him, and that in him all things hold together. They're sustained by him. So Jesus has the highest authority over the world, but when sin entered the world, it became alienated from God. So when Jesus reconciles all things back to God by his death, Jesus is claiming back what he already had authority over in creation. So what we've done there is actually use the lens of the gospel to make sense of God's world. That Jesus' death and resurrection isn't just to save us from our sins, but is part of a bigger plan of bringing everything back into relationship with God. It's like we put on the infrared goggles to see exactly what's happening in the shadows of creation with God the Father and God the Son. I think it's like we've looked through the periscope to see what's above the water, getting a bigger picture of it all. I think it's like we put on the glasses and we can see the beauty of creation. That's been the really big one for me this week, being awestruck at how great Jesus is. I think it's also like peering through the microscope and seeing exactly the details of what Jesus has done. And it's like using the x-ray machine to analyse how Jesus sustains everything in creation. It's like we've looked through the Jesus glasses to grow in our understanding. Verses 21 to 23 help us see what we've covered so far. We're on the home stretch now. Read from verse 21 with me. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. In the past, the Colossians were alienated from God, like us. Our evil behaviour was a product of the enmity in our minds. But in the present, God has reconciled the Colossians and us by Jesus' death and resurrection, as we are filled with the knowledge of God's will in our minds. That is, seeing the world through the Jesus lens, we are to behave in a way that reflects our faith in Jesus. For there's a future at the end of verse 22, when followers of Jesus will be presented wholly in God's sight. Yet, there's a condition in verse 23, if you continue in your faith. It's what we started talking about, isn't it? Growing up spiritually. I hope you've seen the importance of growing up. There should be an excitement about it as you grow to get to know Jesus better. But there's also an urgency about it. So that we'll be there on the last day with God. 
And it's also the hardest growing up that we'll ever do, to come from being alienated enemies with evil behaviour to be holy without blemish and free from accusation. How different are those two descriptions? But that's exactly why Jesus had the highest authority in both creation and salvation, so that he could do the impossible of reconciling all things back to God. Jesus has already done the impossible of rescuing us from darkness into God's kingdom. So now he helps us by his spirit to do the hard thing of growing in faith. And this continuing, this growing in faith is be done together. What we have in our Bibles as you, in verse 23, is actually a plural word in the Greek language. If we were in parts of the United States, we'd say it is you all or y'all. In Aussie slang, we'd probably say, and it doesn't sound very good, use. With that in mind, Paul's encouragement is for use to continue in the faith. The community, the family of believers is to help us continue in the faith. Over the next few weeks, we'll think more practically about growing up spiritually. But today we've been looking at the mindset we ought to have in growing up spiritually and the attitude. Let me share with you some of my story. Over the years, I've struggled with pornography. I kept it secret for a long time because I felt ashamed and because I didn't have the desire to change. But got up to a point where I felt so ashamed, I had to confess it to someone. I told my dad and he said to me, I still love you. And your heavenly father still loves you. I think it was the first time I really felt God's grace to me. That through the lens of the gospel, I saw that I could confess my sin and be forgiven. It's like I'd put on those glasses to really appreciate the beauty of what God had done. And in sharing it with my dad, I involved another person to help me. And this helped me to start growing up spiritually in that area. I began to realize that there were issues in my childhood that were related to my struggle with sin. I visited a psychologist to help me process some of these things. And that was really tough to remember emotional memories. The psychologist helped me to make sense of these things using the gospel as a lens. It was like I looked through the x-ray machine to diagnose my broken soul and do it with accuracy. I had to dig deep to understand why I was engaging in this sin. And understanding why I kept doing this helped me to grow a desire to stop. It's taken time to deal with this sin as I'm being filled with the ability to make sense of God's world, to make sense of my life through the lens of Jesus. It's taken people to help me, my dad, my psychologist. There are other Christian brothers and sisters that often say, how are you going? Helping me along the way. And in time and with people's help, I put in place a plan to help me grow up spiritually. It's been hard, and it's still taking time. But I know it's ultimately worth it, because I believe how important it is to grow up spiritually, to be more like Jesus. How are you going when it comes to growing up spiritually? Is it a priority for you? 
Do you have a plan? Are you growing up with other people to help you? Can you see that it will take time? And are you using the Jesus lens to help you make sense of God's world? I pray that we may be a church family that grows up spiritually. Wasn't it wonderful to hear from Penny before and Pete and Libby and Luke about the way they're still growing up spiritually? May we prioritise gathering together on Sunday mornings to be fed from God's word. May we prioritise meeting together during the week at Bible study groups to read God's word together so we can grow up together. 